0: Shabbat shalom, everyone. I wanted very briefly, by way of introducing our speaker today, talk about two things. The first is Rabbi Samuel Chill. May he rest in peace. We're, of course, in the Rabbi Samuel Chill Sanctuary, and this day is the Rabbi Samuel Chill Kalah. I just want to take a moment to welcome uh, Janet. Janet, we just totally love you. And whenever you come and you sit in your appointed seat uh, next to Leslie bornstein Stacks and Carol Savitz and Amy Abramowitz and Paula. Uh, it is just, it, when you come, it's the, the, the light and joy come with you. Uh, we also wanna just take a minute to acknowledge uh, Judy and Jonathan. Uh, it's so beautiful to see you. It's so wonderful to see Rachel and David. It's so wonderful to see Jamie. And if my memory serves, it's been a while, but I think Jamie and Yair have a son named Samuel. So uh, Rabbi Samuel Chill lives on in all of us, but in particular in the name that he was given uh, by Jamie and Yair in little Sam. Um, And it's just so deeply meaningful to continue to remember his incredible legacy. Uh, Because this is the Rabbi Chill Kalab, we wanted to find a speaker uh, who connected with Rabbi Chill's uh, purpose and mission in life. We couldn't think of anybody more urgent than David Lincoln. He has an illustrious resume. He just, he's been a thousand honors. He was named one of the 50 most influential Jews in the entire world recently. He's written 61 books, which I think is soon to become 62 or 63 books. He has authored hundreds of responsa. He is the address for Masorati Judaism in Israel. Um, he is currently the president of the Scheffler Institutes. He's been president of the Scheffler Institutes and he came out of his mother's womb. That is just who he <laughs> has been forever. Um, but, and he's written all these, uh, uh, he's a teacher of Talmud. He's a teacher of Jewish law. But here's what I want to say about David Golinken and why it's just so right for this moment we're all thinking about Israel. The whole Israel thing, when you think about soldiers who say my life is about something larger than my life. My life is not only about my life. My life is about something larger than my life. I know I'm going to go into battle and I don't know if I'm going to come home. I know I'm going into battle and I don't know that I'm going to see my spouse again. I don't know that I'm going to see my children again. I don't know that I'm going to see my home again. And tragically, tragically too many do not. But they do it because they're just like so committed to Am Yisrael, to Medinat Yisrael. They're so committed that there should be a Jewish state and they will fight for that with their very existence, with their very life. And that is amazing. And all we can just do is pray for them, which we do every day and every night. But it leaves us wondering in civilians who don't live in Israel or live in Israel and, and aren't in the army, what can we do? Who do we, what do we attach ourselves to that is larger than ourselves? That causes real mesirous nefesh, real devotion, real sacrifice, like you gotta leave your home and leave your bed and leave your cup of coffee and leave your routine for a long time to do something hard and good for somebody else. That's David. That's David Glinkin. He so believes in Masorti Judaism. Like there's a truth principle about Masorti that is unique, and it's distinctive, and it's powerful, and it's worth living for. He, he. do you know what? This is his sixth, sixth, sixth city that he's on this fundraising trip from Masorti because When the war happened and people want to know, will I get paid? The answer is yes. And the reason that his people get paid is because he leaves his home uh, for six days now, five times a year he does this. He is married, he's got 21 grandchildren in Israel. He says goodbye to all of his grandkids. He says goodbye to his wife. He says goodbye to his kids. Thank God he's not making the kinds of sacrifices obviously Israeli soldiers make. But can I just say, that's like a lot, right? That's like a lot. To say goodbye to your wife, to your kids, to your 21 grandkids, to your life, and go and raise money in American city after American city, in congregation after congregation, looking to raise money to keep a flame burning for something he so deeply believes in. David Galenkin, um, the fact that you're 50, well, most 50 influential Jews is cool but the fact that you believe in something so deeply, you're willing to fight for it, live for it, sacrifice for it. That's like,
1: wow. David Galinken. Thank you, Rabbi Gardenswartz. After that introduction, this had better be very good. (laughs) A story is told of a long-winded rabbi who was 45 minutes into his two-hour sermon, and he had just finished the introduction. And a woman is sitting in the front row with a baby gets up to leave because the baby starts to make noise. And the rabbi says to her, Madam, how did you have the audacity to come in here with a baby? And the lady says, Rabbi, when you started your sermon, I wasn't even married. (laughs) Well, I promise you this will be shorter than that introduction. My talk this morning is what to do about the state of Judaism in the Jewish state. And I would like to frame it as the tension between the two phrases, Lech lecha, that appear in the Torah. And we read one of them just a few weeks ago. The first is in Breshit chapter 12 Get you up and go from the place you were born, from the place of your forefathers, to the place that I will show you. And the second is in Breshit chapter 22. Uh, God says to Abraham, Lechlecha el Eretz Moriah, get you up and go to Mount Moriah. And the rabbis of the Talmud and Midrash, who knew the Tanakh by heart, they noticed that this phrase only appears twice in the Bible. And they said, "Hey minayu adif in Aramaic, which of them is preferable? Is the Lechlecha of Zionism in Breshi chapter 12 the main thing? Or is the of Judaism, of being willing to sacrifice for God, the main thing? And Rabbi Levi, who asked the question, answered whatever he answered. But I want to use that question as the framing for my talk. For 75 years, the problem of Judaism in the state of Israel is that we have not figured out how to reconcile those two lechlechas. On the one hand, you have the Haredi population, let's say 15% of the population of the state of Israel, and they believe in the lechlecha of Judaism, but not in the lechlecha of Zionism. And I'm sure you've read in the newspapers over the years the stories about the 60,000 yeshiva students who sit and study and don't serve in the army. You might have heard about billboards in Jerusalem that no longer featured women because the Haredim demanded that no women be featured in the uh, billboards. You might have heard the sad story about Haredim who stoned a seven-year-old girl in Beit Shemesh because they thought she wasn't dressed modestly. Uh, You might have heard about the chief rabbinate of Israel that in 2008 retroactively annulled some 10,000 conversions performed by the chief rabbinate of Israel itself, and no doubt you have heard of the woman of the wall. But that is not the Lech Lecha I wanna talk about this morning, I wanna talk about the other side of the coin. This is the Lech Lecha of Israelis who very much identify with being Israeli and speak Hebrew, and are Zionists, but who know absolutely nothing about Judaism. And I will illustrate this by a number of stories. I I apologize that these stories are depressing, especially after hearing the uplifting chanting of Leora this morning and her Dvar Torah. Um, But these stories I've been collecting for over 50 years. So the first story happened to me a number of years ago. We were finishing a project to translate the novel as a driven leaf into Hebrew. How many of you have read the book as a driven leaf? Good percentage. Okay, you have homework. By next Shabbat, I want you to go out and buy and read As a Driven Leaf, the most important historical novel ever written uh, by a Jew. It was published by Rabbi Milton Steinberg in 1939, and it's been in print ever since. It is the story of Elisha ben Abuya, the famous heretic, and his struggles with his Jewish faith, with the other rabbis, and with the Romans uh, at the beginning of the second century. And a friend of mine and I decided that we were gonna publish this book in Hebrew, And it was co-published by Yediot, which is the largest book publisher in the state of Israel, and the Shechter Institute, the academic uh, institution uh, which I run. And we were at the end of the process of publishing the book in Hebrew, and the language, the Hebrew language editor of Yediot, calls me up on the phone. And she had a number of questions about certain Hebrew phrases and sections in the book. And she says to me, I noticed that there's one passage in the book that appears twice, and in one place it has nikud, it has vowels, and the other place it doesn't have vowels. So I paged through the book, I found the two sections. She was talking about the first Mishnah from Pirkei Avot, the Ethics of the Fathers. Moshe kibel Torah misinai, musara Yoshua, v'yoshua leskenim, muskenim lenviim, etc., etc. Moses received the Torah at Mount Sinai and gave it to Joshua, gave it to the elders who gave it to the prophets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. In the course of this phone conversation, I discovered... Number one, she did not know that this famous quote was from Pirkei Avot. More importantly, she had never heard of Pirkei Avot. The Hebrew language editor of the largest book publisher in the state of Israel had never heard of the fourth most important book in all of Jewish history. Story number two, told by Professor Aaron Kirschenbaum, who was a well-known professor of Jewish law at Tel Aviv University within the law school, in the law schools in Israel, all the law students have to take one or two courses on Jewish law. And Professor Kirschenbaum writes in his autobiography published a few years ago. On page 321, he tells the following story. He says, for 30 years, I taught in the law school at Tel Aviv University. Parenthesis, to get into the law school at Tel Aviv University, you have to be really smart. If you're not smart, you're not at the law school of Tel Aviv University, you go to a law school at a college in Israel. So these are the best and the brightest of, of Israel. For 30 years, I taught in the law school of Tel Aviv University, and on a regular basis, I would ask my law students, what is this week's Parshat shavua? What is this week's weekly portion? And for 30 years, they did not know the answer except once. That week, a, an Israeli comedian named Gil Kopach did a skit on television about Parshat Chaye Sarah, and all my students knew that this week's portion was Chaye Sarah, <laughs> which was last week. Other than that, they didn't know the name of Parshat Tashavuah. Number three happened to me at Beit HaNasi, the president of the state of Israel, Ruby Rivlin, a number of years ago. Every year for, before Tisha B'av, he did a wonderful event. He would invite the leaders of conservative Orthodox and Reform Judaism to Beit HaNasi. And one of us would give a Dvar Torah, and it was a way of showing reconciliation before Tishabov because the second temple was destroyed because of senseless hatred. So I went to one of these events a number of years ago. This was on a Thursday. Tisha B'av was on Sunday. And I run into an old friend of mine, Leah Shaktiel. Dr. Leah Shaktiel is an orthodox feminist. That is not an oxymoron. She is an orthodox feminist in the state of Israel. She was the first woman elected as the head of a religious council in the city of Yerucham in 1986, as a result of a Supreme Court case. I said to her, Leah, I hadn't seen her in a few years. She says, Lotov. So I thought someone had died. I said, Makara. She said, I've been teaching a group of young Machina students uh, in Israel after the army, after high school, and before the army, a lot of kids go to a Machina, a preparatory year where they study history and Zionism, and get ready for the army. She said, I've been teaching in the Machina program of Bina in the Negev, and the students invited me to their final party. And their final party is on Tisha B'Av afternoon. And they didn't invite me to the final party on Tisha B'Av afternoon in order to get me angry. They simply did not have any idea that it was Tisha B'Av. So we have here a situation where both of these lech lech or both of these problems that I am describing, were developed or caused by the same wonderful group of leaders who founded the state of Israel, and that is Ben-Gurion and Golda Meir and their generation. On the one hand, they gave the Haredi yeshiva students an exemption from the army, and on the other hand, they decided that most Israeli children who study in the secular public schools in Israel do not learn, need to learn anything about Judaism. Now, any educator in Israel, such as myself, can tell you their own stories and experiences in this realm. And these stories are shocking uh, for, to most American Jews who are not aware of this situation. So the question is, how can we deal with the awful alienation and incredible ignorance of Jewish culture and tradition in our Jewish state? Or in other words, how can we bring the ideals of conservative Judaism, which include a love of God, Jewish tradition, Zionism, and pluralism, to millions of Israelis who have little or no connection to the Jewish tradition? I would like to present the two approaches to strengthening Judaism in the state of Israel as a debate between the young David Golinkin and the not-so-young David Golinkin. I am purposely strength- sharpening the distinctions in order to clarify these approaches. Many years ago, I thought that the, quote, enemy of Judaism in Israel is the religious establishment or the chief rabbinate. I thought that the majority of Israelis dislike or are apathetic towards Judaism because they dislike the religious establishment. If we could get rid of the religious establishment and allow religious pluralism in Israel, the situation would improve. Indeed, the religious establishment in Israel does many foolish things, I mentioned this briefly this morning, and makes life difficult for those who want to convert, and for young couples who want to get married, and for agunot or chained women who cannot obtain a get or religious divorce from their husbands. But now I am convinced that that is not the main, quote, enemy of Judaism in Israel the main enemy is secularism. And that secularism was created by the founders of the state of Israel and their successors. The Israelis I described in my stories, the Hebrew language editor at Yediot and the law students at Tel Aviv University and the Machina students in the Negev, they know nothing about Judaism because three generations of Israelis did not receive a serious Jewish education. And that was not an accident. That was a conscious decision of Israeli governments and ministers of education from 1948 until just a few years ago. I am not here to attack a specific party or minister. Since the State of Israel was founded, only three education ministers have made a concerted effort to provide Jewish education to 75% of the Israeli children who study in the secular public schools. Are the ultra-Orthodox and Orthodox to blame for this situation? Absolutely not. The secular Israeli parties are to blame. And now let us examine the second disagreement between David the Young and David the not so young. In 1975, I was interviewed at Nevei Schechter, which is now called Machon Schechter, the Schechter Institute of Jewish Studies, in order to be accepted into rabbinical school at the Jewish Theological Seminary in New York, since the Schechter Institute did not exist at that time. The members of the admissions committee asked me what I want to do after ordination. I replied that I want to return to Israel and serve as a rabbi at a conservative congregation, I did not say a Masorti congregation because the term did not exist at that time. And I thought then that a conservative rabbi committed to Jewish law on the one hand and to modernity on the other, who runs an American-style conservative congregation will be able to overcome the the alienation and ignorance which I have described. I also believed that this was the only solution to these problems. Now after four decades of educational activity in Israel, I am convinced that this, the synagogue solution is only a partial solution to the problem of Judaism in Israel. Because the synagogue solution assumes that the average Israeli wants to attend a synagogue, but is turned off by the rabbi or by the machitza. In order to examine this thesis, let us examine the development of reform and conservative movements in Israel. The first reform congregation Harel was founded in Jerusalem in 1958, 65 years ago. And how many reform congregations are there in Israel today? The last time I checked, there were 47 Reform synagogues in Israel. Do you know how many Orthodox synagogues there are in Israel? 15,000. And how many people belong to the Reform movement in Israel? Again, I have not checked very recently, but the last time I checked, some 5,000 adults. And the statistics regarding the Conservative Masorti movement are better, but only slightly so. And according to Dan Pfefferman. In his 2018 book, Rising Streams, which you can actually download the entire book online, it's about the reform and conservative movements in Israel. In his book, Rising Streams, page five, he says that there are 12,000 registered reform and conservative Jews in Israel in 2018. In other words, when I was young, I was wrong, which is not so unusual. But why? Why does the Temple Emmanuel model of a conservative synagogue center Why does that fail to attract large numbers of Israelis to reform and conservative synagogues in Israel? I believe there are two answers, one of them sociological and the other theological. As for the sociological aspect, I discussed this a number of years ago with a friend of mine who was a professor of education at an Israeli university and also a conservative rabbi. He quoted an article which he had read a few years back. The author of that article said that Jewish congregations succeed in the United States because the US is a Protestant country while Israel is a Catholic country. I will repeat that sentence. (laughs) Jewish congregations succeed in the United States because the United States is a Protestant country while Israel is a Catholic country. And my friend added tongue in cheek, in order for non-orthodox synagogues to succeed in Israel, we need to turn Israel into a Protestant state. However, all joking aside, that is absolutely true. The sociology of the State of Israel is similar to a country called Italy, and I checked this. The majority of the people in Italy do not attend church, but they know that the only true church is the Catholic Church. In fact, this is exactly what Professor Shlomo Avineri once said about the State of Israel. He's a very famous political scientist in Israel, winner of the Israel Prize. He said, quote, I won't go to a synagogue, but the synagogue I won't go to is an orthodox synagogue. End of quote. That's the sociology. And what about theology? The main activity in every synagogue in the world, orthodox, conservative, reform, reconstructionist, renewal, is tefillah, prayer. That's what we did here this morning. There is a common denominator between the Hebrew language editor at Yidiot and the law students at Tel Aviv University and the young students in the Binah program in the Negev. And the common denominator is that they are not interested in prayer and will not enter any synagogue except perhaps for a bar mitzvah. Prayer and synagogue at this stage of the development of Israeli society, and I emphasize at this stage, because as I explained this morning, I am not a prophet. At this stage, prayer and synagogues are frightening or strange or irrelevant for most Israelis. So what is the solution? How can we reach the overwhelming majority of Israelis who are not interested in attending any synagogue, but who think that only Orthodox synagogues are authentic? What we need is what I like to call a Jewish education revolution in the state of Israel. And that revolution must adapt itself to Israeli reality. You can't simply take a model that works here in the United States, put it on El Al Flight 016 from Boston to Tel Aviv and expect that it's going to work in the state of Israel. You have to develop models that are appropriate for the sociology of the state of Israel. And if you will look please at the piece of paper that was handed out, On one side you have a chart, on the other side you have words. Please look at the chart. These are the four major models we have developed at Schechter since 1984, almost 40 years, in order to teach Judaism to Israelis. We started out with four rabbinical students in 1984. We now teach 125,000 people every year in Israel. What are the four programs? Number one, and this is not in order of importance, Number one, our graduate school for Israeli educators and communal workers. We have 2000 MA graduates and 300 MA students at Schechter and these people are teachers, principals, school supervisors and communal workers in the state of Israel. Which means that whatever we teach them about Judaism and whatever we teach them about Jewish pluralism, they will take back to their school in Gan, their school in Haifa, their Jewish community center, their Matnas, in the town of Shlomi, uh, and their kindergarten in Eilat. So these 2,300 people are ambassadors of Jewish education and Jewish pluralism throughout the state of Israel. The second program is, of course, our Schechter Rabbinical Seminary, which has ordained 108 rabbis since it was founded. And our rabbis are working in synagogues and educational frameworks throughout the state of Israel. And if you look on the fourth item on that, under the rabbinical school, you'll see a a fascinating program. It's called Ashira. I heard that a lot of the people in the shul love to sing. Well, what if you do if you like to sing, but you don't know how to sing the Tfilot, if you don't know the Nusach? And we opened up the Ashira program. This will be the sixth year, God willing, when it opens up after the war is over. And the Ashira program is a a program that teaches adults Nusach. And we have four tracks, the Ashkenazic track, the Sephardic track, the Moroccan track, and the contemporary Jewish music track. And people in the winter learn how to lead Shabbat services, and in the summer they learn how to lead high holiday services, and hundreds and hundreds of people have been through this program since it began. The largest thing that we do, which is the third item on the page, is the Tali educational program. Tali stands for Tigbur Limudeya Adut, even though you may have a cousin named Tali. And Tigburli Mudey Adud means reinforcing Jewish education. And the only American equivalent I can give you is a charter school. Atali is an Israeli public school plus Jewish studies. And we provide the Jewish studies. You're talking about 1,000 preschools, almost 80 elementary schools, junior highs, and high schools throughout the country, 65,000 children who are learning Parshat Shavuot, the weekly portion every week, who are learning the holidays, the Chagim who are learning Pirkei Avot, the Ethics of the Fathers, and all the other basic aspects of Judaism. Acharon, acharon, chaviv, last but not least, at the bottom of the page, and this is the one number, this is last year's chart you're looking at, this is the one number that I'm happy to say is totally out of date. Uh, In the previous year, we had 24,000 people come to our outreach center, Nevei Shechter, in Tel Aviv. This past year, 50,000 people, A 1,000 people a week come to our outreach center in Tel Aviv, which teaches Judaism through music, art, and adult education. And we have a very successful art gallery there, a very successful music program there, 300 adults learning about Judaism every week, and even a bar bat mitzvah program where 100 children a year, 100 b'nai mitzvah, uh, do what Leora did this morning, not as well, but do what Leora did this morning, And they have a bar mitzvah on a Shabbat morning, a Shabbat afternoon, a Monday or Thursday morning. These are totally secular Tel Aviv families that in the past only had a disco party. And now their kids have a religious ceremony at Neve Shechter in Tel Aviv. I would like to conclude on an optimistic note and give you one statistic and one story. The statistic is that a recent poll in Israel began with the question is, what is your Jewish identity? What do you know about Judaism? And the beginning of the poll, unfortunately, was what I already told you, which is that most secular Israelis say that they know nothing about Judaism. The end of the poll said that nearly half of all secular Israelis want to increase their knowledge of Judaism and Jewish sources, with many citing such options as secular batay Torah study centers, or Jewish academic institutions. That is the statistic. And here is the story. A Few years ago I received the following email. It's in Hebrew, I'm gonna translate it into English. Shalom Rav, my name is Dorit and I am the mother of two daughters, one in Kita Aleph in first grade and one in Gan in kindergarten. I want to know if you have any framework for teaching about Judaism in Kfar Saba. My daughter goes to a secular public school and it bothers me greatly that there is no uh, education for values or for Judaism. Ani I am greatly interested that my daughters should know, should respect, should love, and should want to learn and understand about Judaism. I cannot imagine having received this email 30 years ago, not only because there was no email 30 years ago, but because 30 years ago, your average secular Israeli in Kfar Saba was not looking for a framework of Jewish studies for their children. And what's happened in the past 30 years is a revolution in Israeli society that tens of thousands of Israelis want to reconnect to Judaism, not through the chief rabbinate, not through religious coercion, not necessarily through synagogues. They want to reconnect to Judaism through an MA program, through an adult education program, through a music and arts program, through the Tawi school system, 125,000 people every year who are now learning about Judaism through our programs. So as the rabbi said, I come here nebech four or five times a year, not because I like Skippy peanut butter, but because in order to do all of these things that we do, we have to raise $6 million every year, which is what we do. And I hope that you will visit our website, learn more about what the Schechter Institutes do, uh, perhaps become supporters of our programs. Uh, And this rounds out what I was saying this morning that this is one of the unfinished challenges of the State of Israel, how to reconcile the Lech Lecha of Genesis chapter 12 with the Lech Lecha of Genesis chapter 22. Shabbat Shalom.